times. Well, if God is God, why didn't he just forgive them? Why is it necessary that Jesus goes to the cross and dies? I'm going to give you four points to that real quick. They, call, they all come out of Romans chapter 5. So you can write this down if you're writing. Romans chapter 5, I want you to go back and study this. In verse 6, Paul says this, For while we were still weak, the first reason why he doesn't just forgive them is because it doesn't deal with the problem. You see, we're weak. We're unable to redeem ourselves. We're unable to rescue ourselves from our own situation. We were born into sin. We were born corrupted, of corruptible seas. Ephesians and those Colossians, Paul would say this, that we are dead. A dead man can't redeem himself. A dead man can't do anything. We are dead in our sins and our trespasses. And if he just forgave us, it doesn't deal with the problem of me being dead. The second thing was, is at the right time? Because, because redemption was God's plan. And Paul says this in finishing out six, at the right time. It was God's plan at the right time to send his son. The third thing is it shows, but God shows his love in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The reason why he doesn't just forgives us because this is the greatest display of God's love. Paul actually uses this word shows. It shows his love for us. This is a present tense word. Now catch this. What this means is it's still active. Many times we would think that the cross happened and, ooh, God showed his love. No, he didn't use the showed, shows his love. This is something that's still moving forward in our life. You see, without death, there's no resurrection. No resurrection, there's no resurrection power. We are not just offered forgiveness, but to be partakers in the power over life and death. So he doesn't need the power of his resurrection. Jesus didn't need the power of his resurrection. We do. He wasn't lacking in power. He wasn't lacking in anything in heaven. We were lacking. And so he came so that we could be resurrected. And the fourth thing is this. Why didn't he just forgive them? Why did he die on the cross? So that we can have hope. He starts off Romans 5 with this. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not that only, but we rejoice in our sufferings knowing that, catch this, suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces, some of you know this, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit that has been given to us. Why didn't Jesus just forgive us? Because it doesn't deal with the problem. It doesn't show his love. It doesn't give us resurrection power. And it doesn't give us hope. And he has given us all those things. And this is the same way I would answer the question, well, we should just love other people. Just love, just love, just love. 
That's great. Go love. But what is it to what end? What does it do? If there's nothing to redeem, what's the point in loving? If there's no opportunity of hope, what is the purpose of loving others? But it's to this. And so Jason's about to come up, but I'm going to leave you with this. The biggest thing that this has set my heart, and I hope it's done this for you, it has helped me get a higher view of Jesus. Good morning, church family. So when Pastor John said we each get five minutes to sum this up, I was like, this was a three-hour documentary, right? So I was like, man, what is the one takeaway that I want everyone to walk out of here with after watching this? And what kept just resonating and stirring in me is in Christ alone, that statement, that statement to be your foundation, that statement to be what you hold on to, period, no matter what, no matter what degree the person has that's talking to you or trying to lead you down a a tricky trail. Uh, Let me give you one quick example of this. I was watching an older pastor one time, and he said early in his college career, he went into a seminary and had an atheist professor. Uh, Well, it wasn't seminary. I apologize for that. It was just a secular school. And the guy's like, who here believes in God? And the boy raises his hand. He says, well, you know, I don't think much of your God. And, you know, and he was indignant. He said, no, no, God is great. God, God, I love God. And he said, well, can God do anything? And he said, yeah, God can do anything. And he said, well, can he make a rock too big for him to pick up? So when you engage people that want to trap you, they're going to create some sort of logical fallacy to trap you with, okay? And that's what a lot of these people have spent decades designing and tailoring and putting forth to deceive people. But I want you to leave encouraged that you stand under Christ, that it is in Christ alone that you have your faith, and when God sees you, he sees you through the precious spilt blood of Christ. I want all believers that watch this documentary to grow in absolute confidence, The Bible is the absolute word of God. God's word is absolutely inerrant, infallible, and trustworthy. Jesus is the author and finisher of my faith, and he is for you too. Jesus absolutely defeated death and hell. Jesus absolutely took my punishment that I may stand before God as righteous. I was absolutely dead in my trespasses and sin. No way to help myself. Jesus did that. I was absolutely called by the Father, just as you were and every believer was. I was absolutely quickened by the Holy Spirit, just as you and every other believer was. And I am absolutely going to stand with Jesus and his words, period. The world will absolutely hate me for his sake. They'll hate you too if you stand for that. They'll call you all sorts of names, names that we associate with horrible behavior, bigot, racist, They'll whatever to try to guilt you into compromising your belief. Stand in Christ alone. Have absolute faith in him and his words. The world, there are many imposters, but there is one absolute God. I was lost and broken, but God. He is the author. He is the finisher. People will come at you, and this is all I have for them. I'm not legalistic. 
I just want Christ alone. That's why I say stay sober-minded. That's why I guard myself from areas that I know can be used as leverage by the enemy to derail my thoughts, derail my passions, and get me lost in the mud. I'm not oblivious of my sin. I stand on the fact that Christ has finished the work. I want to seek Christ alone. I want to love Christ alone. And I want to follow Christ alone. I encourage you to, that that be your heart's desire. If you tap into that and let that resonate and scream out for you, he is there to hear you. My faith is in Christ alone. So you may ask, how do we deal with some of these people in the documentary? You know, somebody that was a professing Christian, or as uh, it was presented in the documentary, nominally Christian, and had a career as a Christian. He said, all relationships, lifestyle, every social and cultural norm that he knew was reliant on him believing in Jesus Christ in a certain way. So he'd be crazy to change. Well, there was a point in my life where every friendship and everything that I had built for myself was reliant on me thinking of myself in a certain way and thinking of Jesus in a certain way. Jesus was a God that was far off. I was the ruler of my life. And when Jesus revealed himself to me, when the Father called me home and the Holy Spirit quickened me, I walked away from all of that. Does it seem crazy? Absolutely. But I'm walking towards Jesus Christ, the only one that we can trust, the only one we can put faith in without being left disappointed and broken. So when people present ideas like that to you, stand on your faith. Have trust. It is in Christ alone that we have any confidence. It is in his finished work that we are able to stand justified before God. So I just want to leave on this note and encourage all of you to fall in love with Jesus. Seek him, run after him, no holds barred. Don't let the naysayers of the world distract you from the truth. And Jesus is truth. Over the last few weeks, it has been an honor to share Christ with you and expose those that would oppose the cross of Christ. And uh, it's an honor that Christ calls me friend. And I want you all to have that relationship as well. Thank you. Test one. My personal motive for this series was my knowing, not just from the scripture, but as your pastor, of what is coming. The Bible speaks that before the day of wrath, before the time of Jacob's trouble, there is a great falling away that's going to happen, is already happening. Uh, people falling away from the Christ of the Bible, people falling away from the gospel, falling away from the consecrated life, wheat and tares growing up together, but the, the tares are going to start turning brown. And if you're not anchored and you're not moored, then previous relationships and the esteem of figures in your life will cause you to sway or swerve or change. And when I asked them, uh, you know, to, to give one last talk, I was laughing at Jason. I wasn't asking you to summarize three hours in one thing. I said, pick one, you know, uh, pick one thing. Uh, and mine will be this. I, I've written a lot, but I'm going to just share from my heart. 
Jesus said, when they asked him, Lord, what is the sign of thy coming and the end of the age? He said, be careful that no man deceive you. Deception is going to sweep the professing Christian world. And it is already doing such. Uh, as unnoticed by most. Seen by some and many Christians knowing the cost of standing up speaking out and being different. They bury their heads and act as if it's not there. But the last message is to the unbelieving church of who the Christ truly is. For us, I wanted you to hear the absurdity, the deception, the illusionary concepts running parallel with the truth of God's Word and to see how easy, I wanted you to feel the tension. I wanted you to feel the confusion. I wanted you to say, yeah, and then realize that that guy's a bad guy two episodes later. And you go, oh, I wanted you to be uneasy so that you can clarify, purify, and concentrate your personal faith. So, pastor, how can I be deception-proof when it comes to the gospel of Jesus Christ? This is the tag phrase I would give you. The gospel is offensive. It's offensive. It speaks to our depravity. It uses words. Depraved. Worthless. I'm an enemy of God. I'm dead in my trespasses and sin. I'm rebellious. I'm a wayward sheep. I'm a prodigal that cares nothing about his father. In fact... If God is the Father, I want everything that God can give and do for me without giving anything and doing anything for God. That's who I am. My thoughts are continuously wicked. What am I to do with my sin? See, the attack on penal substitution, the removal of the blood-stained gospel, the removal of Christ dying isn't so much about his blood as it is about your sin. They, the, the, the deception is you weren't so bad. As a matter of fact, and I'm echoing some of the things you just heard, you were so good that God bankrupted heaven. Heaven was never bankrupt. <laughs> it sounds wonderful bankrupt. So I wish I could do something. God's in heaven. I wish I could do something from the throne, but you know, we're bankrupt here. And you know, no. And you, you have to truly think it through for it to make sense and to settle. My depravity is real and true, but he doesn't leave me there. He didn't die because I was valuable. He died for me because he's good and he's kind and he's gracious. And that's why I want to serve him and live for him. And my value is not that he died for someone worthy, but because he died for someone unworthy. And now I'm accepted in the beloved. Now I have the spirit of adoption in me whereby I cry, Abba, Father, now my name is written in the Lamb's book of life. When you hear preachers, teachers, Christian ministries, and there's no offense in their teaching, if you're constantly getting better and better and better in the teaching. Now, 
We are to be transformed in the image of His Son. We're supposed to have love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, meekness, uh, self-control. Those things are supposed to grow. But they grow from a humility of heart that sees myself as God sees me. And in that seeing, I lower myself. I base myself before Him and others with my face buried in the ground, and that if I humble myself in the sight of the Lord, then the Lord lifts me up. So my lifting is not because of goodness, it's because of grace. And the strength that we now have, we have because of God's exchange for us. A Christless gospel. Well, they mention the name of Christ, but not a Christ that has to die. And why would he have to die? Because of our depravity. See, the gospel is a stumbling block to the Jew. It's ridiculous to the Gentile. And if what's being preached does not go against the grain of your intellect, your feelings about yourself, your life. When Jesus started to explain to them about his death and burial and resurrection. They didn't understand. This is a hard saying. And when he introduced the Lord's Supper, that, that, that to them was a repulsive thing. And Jesus, when he's telling Simon about, I'm going to die, be killed uh, and buried and resurrected, he said, far be it from you. That's the spirit. When Jesus turned and spoke to Simon Peter, he said, get behind me, Satan. What's well, Simon Peter? No, no. That spirit that says, I don't have to die for mankind. That spirit that says, I don't have to suffer. Watch, because I'm good. And you don't have to suffer because you're good. And you're God's son. And you're the head and not the tail. You're above and not beneath. And you're nothing bad supposed to happen from you to you or against you. And every tongue that rises up against you, God will condemn. Yeah, but not in the moment. I am the head because I'm in him. I am above because he resides above. And this idea of just living to serve the world, he said, and, and, and make it a better place. The Lord was crystal clear after the millennial reign. He's going to burn the whole thing up and start over. So for you, when you're hearing preaching and teaching, and you stand taller instead of kneel lower. When your back and your neck stiffens and you're elevated, instead of getting low and saying, who am I that you would love me so much? Who am I, oh God, to deserve the least of your mercies? Christ walked into one uh, house and the man met him at the door. And in that same house, a woman met him at the floor. One did not give him water to wash his feet, and the, others, the other washed his feet with her hair. The man wouldn't give Jesus well water, but she gave Jesus heart water. And from her heart poured tears, and she kissed and washed his feet with her tears. And Jesus made the statement, watch, watch. This woman's sins were many, and she's forgiven. She wasn't forgiven because she washed his feet. She had already believed in Messiah. And from her flowed a humility of heart, a humility of worship. Now, once she was at his feet and humbled herself, 
she then stands and looks everybody else in the eye. How do I know if I'm a recipient of the true gospel of Jesus Christ? I don't look down or up at anybody. I'm not a worm. I'm a son. I'm a son. But to get to be the son, I had to be the one that needed saving. Christ had to die to rescue us. And God rescued us not to fill a need in his heart, but to show that facet of himself as gracious. I know how Paul feels when he said, you know, I, I consider myself the, the chiefest of sinners. If Jesus tarries, more than likely there'll be people in this room that fall away. You'll be hurt with some pastor, hurt with some church, but more than likely it'll be an erosion of a faith that was never deeply rooted in the concrete knowledge of Jesus Christ and what his death on the cross meant for you. It's simple. It's simple. It can't be added to. It can't be uh, minimized. It can't be diluted or polluted. And it's always offensive. The preaching of the cross should attack your flesh. When you hear things like, he that saveth his life shall lose it, and he that loses his life for my sake shall find it. I don't want to lose my life. I don't want to be servant of all. I don't want to give. The gospel, the gospel aggravates your flesh, but it quickens your spirit. It quickens your spirit. Are you born again? Is Christ your Savior? Believing in Jesus is not a mental assent to the fact that Jesus lives. We are not a Christian because we ask Jesus into our heart. I hear preachers say, won't you let God love you? Won't you let God love you? No, you need to love God. Don't let God love you. You need to repent. You need to repent and be baptized for the remission of sins. You need to turn to him, turn from, and call out upon the Lord. My goal, I'll finish with this. You know, guys, those of you that have been married a while, when you and your wife are laying down in bed and you're just having nighttime talk where you're not looking at each other, but there's that vulnerable talk, there's that deep part of your soul when you just go, baby, that one says, yeah, and you just start talking. I remember telling Kelly the other night, uh, I said, if I could go back and do ministry over again, there are things I'd do differently. There's decisions I would make and not make and emphasis that I wouldn't do and more emphasis on other things. But if I know my heart, I don't know that I've ever compromised the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I don't want anybody in judgment to say, I went to John Wood's church or, you know, like it was my church. I went there and he didn't tell me. So I'm telling you, unless you are born again from above, confessing your sins and calling out to God to do for you what you cannot do for yourself, you are lost. 
I've joined a church. You're lost. It's like if you have AIDS and someone says, well, what you talk about? Love your brother. Well, I loved him, but I still got AIDS. Well, I, I was christened. You still got AIDS. You got to get rid of the AIDS. And Christ is the answer for sins. Not by winking, but the, by a naked, torturous death on the cross. He paid for our sins. And this lamb, this gospel originated with God. This gospel satisfied God. This gospel quickens us. And you have to share it. Because the God of this world has blinded the eyes of them that believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel shine unto them. And how can they hear if no one tells them? Once again, I attacked that bumper sticker. Horrible t-shirt sold in Christian stores. Preach the gospel, and if you must, use words. That's the stupidest thing I've ever heard in my life. Here's a bottle of water. Jesus loves you. The gospel must be shared. And you say, well, I'm not sure I know it enough to share it. And I hope this gets down in your soul. I'd hate to stand before Jesus Christ when you tell him that that's the reason you didn't share it with others. It's a responsibility. It's offensive. But it produces the most beautiful thing in the world. Seeing your friend and relative come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ themselves. Amen? Would you stand with me in God's presence this morning? I want to play one song to sum this up. Um, would you just close your eyes with me this morning? Josh, would you play that for me?
somebody say amen this morning. Amen. Praise the Lord. Come on. If we're going to praise him, yeah. May I read this to you as our dismissal. Uh, much was said over this series about the heaviness of the subject. Might I present to you or submit to you that when you deal with the heaviness of doctrine, it produces a lightness of soul. A lightness of heart. 2 Timothy 2.19 Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure. The Lord knows who are His. Well, I know the Lord. That's not the standard. That's not, that's not it. It's that the Lord knows you. He knows who are His. So when we come before Him, He looks and says, I know this one. I know this. How does he recognize him? He sees Christ. Amy, do you have an announcement for us? Come on up. Huh? A video? Oh, I'm sorry. I just saw Amy. So y'all please forgive me. I get carried away here. Y'all can stand. You're okay for just a quick minute? Video? How long? One minute. One minute. That's a sweet video. Okay, go ahead. Children for decades now have been dropping coins into the barrel and been making a huge difference in the kingdom of God around the world. BGMC Buddy has been teaching the youngest in our fellowship to live for something beyond themselves. This year alone, BGMC has taken the gospel to more than 30,000 children around the world. I've learned that when you sacrifice and you give, God blesses you.
life are inspiring incredible generosity. Since 1949, over $160 million has been raised and we are just getting started. Boys and Girls Missionary Challenge. I just want to take 30 seconds. If you've never heard of Boys and Girls Missionary Challenge, BGMC, it's our arm for kids and what we do to give towards mission. If you have heard of BGMC, if you have kids with us in in CC Kids or in any of our areas, you've heard of what BGMC represents. Every single week, we focus on a place or a missionary, and we want to pray for them throughout the entire week. We focus on the kids and the people. Here's the thing, BGMC, the money that is raised goes so that missionaries can go across the world and preach the gospel so that they can learn who this Jesus is. Did you know that there are still people here in the United States that don't know who Jesus truly is, doesn't have a relationship with him? So BGMC is a part of getting that message out. What we're going to do today is we're going to ask you to partner with us. March Madness, everybody's like, that's basketball. No, in March here at Christ Chapel, it's March Madness for BGMC. So the entire month of March, we are focusing on reaching kids just like our kids so that they can hear the message of Jesus. So we're going to ask you to partner with us. As you leave today and you're thinking, oh, my kids already have one of those boxes. Good, take another one home. We're going to ask you for the next two weeks to fill this box and return it. You can put your name on it. You can put a kid's name on it. They have prizes that they're going to get, like this awesome Buddy Barrel shirt, uh, which is really loud and bold, and we love it. But we want to encourage them not just to give, but to pray to give, to serve, and to go. We want to cultivate that within them, to share the gospel of Jesus with their friends on their mission field, which is their own schools. So as you leave today, let me tell you, it's not just change. You may say, hey, I don't want to collect change, or I can clean up my entire truck or car today and fill that box. You can put a check in here, and you spell thousand, sorry, Pastor John, T-H-O-U-S-A-N-D. We want for you to give and help us encourage Encourage our kids to give to change the world for Jesus Christ. Anything else? All right, we love you guys. Have, oh, Pastor John. Guys, how many of you will help our help us not just with BGMC but train our children? Thank you, guys. Go ahead and put the camera on in the foyer for those that pick up the boxes and for those that walk by without. No, since we're all doing it, have a wonderful Lord's Day. God bless you. <laughs>